Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sam Legasic. And I'm Dreadful Dan Gallagher. And we're two old buddies that have lived our life at the edge of the mainstream. So come join us where things are a little odd. This is the Hi everyone and welcome to Oddcast. <laughs> it's me, Dan G, back again with my brethren, Sam. Hello, I'm Sam. Nice to meet you. <laughs> How are you doing, Sam? Enjoying the heat? Uh, not not enjoying the heat whatsoever. Hating it, in fact. Um, yeah, we're having, a, we're having a current heat wave here. Uh, this That literally ended, I feel like, only a couple of hours ago. Well, it's in its thunderstorms now and it's supposed to be stormy for a long while. Much needed. I need some of that cool, cool rain on my face like a like a plant. Oh, Like a plant, planastasia. <laughs> um yeah we're both i think probably going to be flagging a little bit i know i am i'm kind of moving like my brain is well i'm drunk basically so (laughs) excuse me if this episode kind of moves at a treacle like pace Um, (laughs) what have you been uh what have you been watching or listening to is it just been mort garson or has there been anything else no um I've been doing a bit more reading this week. Um, I finished off a Confederacy of Dunces. It's a classic of American contemporary fiction. It's quite funny, actually. You'd probably quite enjoy it. It's about this guy who, um, he's a, well, he's not bull. And his whole attitude is that he is so much better than everyone else and that he probably should have been born at a different time. And he just spends the whole novel just going around just denigrating everyone, railing against the system, 
Um, and it's, it's just really, really, it's quite, I mean, it's quite silly in a way, but it's very Sounds satisfying. Like me. Well, that's, <laughs> I did a post on my Instagram. It's just saying like, you will know someone like this character. And if you don't, you probably will reflect as I have <laughs> at the end. That is me. It's, it's far too close to the bone. <laughs> it's like creeping never, suspicion. Huh, never heard of it. It's good. Um, I recommend nice. it. Yeah. Anything else? watching anything not really no been out and about yeah. been out and about you um what have i been watching i've been playing um a game called uh fall guys i think that's what it's called which is like a, a battle royale for people that don't know what that means it's basically you're playing online with a whole bunch of people and there's one winner um and you know games like um player unknown battlegrounds and like Apex Legends and Call of Duty Warzone or whatever and Fortnite, right? It's a big one. That's a battle royale, for instance. But this one is like, it's really, really cartoony. Um, and instead of it being like one level and it's like the winner take whatever, it's basically like Takeshi's Castle. Like, oh. so super, super colorful. And also all you have to do is move. And the button, there's only three buttons. One is jump. One is dive, which you don't really use that much. You only use it when you're kind of finishing across the line. And one is like, to hold on to like grip basically yeah. and that's it and it's all like obstacle stuff so it's all like having to like try and make your way through all these like cool obstacles and there's like you get like i don't know like five levels or something per um go yeah and yeah it kind of like it kind of cuts people off with each level until it obviously you go cut down to like the winner um and you start off i think it starts with oh someone's gonna shoot me for this but it's i think it starts with like 60 or 70 odd people or something okay and then um yeah each level depending on what the level is cuts more off but they've got like a it's loads of different ones they've got like a football based one they've got like yeah just normal obstacle courses they've got things like catch the tail or whatever and it's all these like really fun stupid silly little games and obviously if you lose then you can kind of come out and go straight back into another one and start yeah again. so it's quite addictive because they're very short um, and it's free on PS Plus at the moment if you've got um, a PS Plus account, which means if you've got a PlayStation, um, you pay a subscription so you can play online. Um, and they give you free games. And this is this game's this month's free game, one of them. Um, yeah, it's definitely worth picking up. Um, sounds pretty cool. On PC as well. It's really, really good. And that it's really addictive. Like it's really of, stupid and fun. Yeah, kind of game I'd enjoy because I'm, you know, I prefer those like mini games, party games, something yeah. you just pick up and play for a little while and then just chuck it down again. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. So literally just before I came on here, I won my first one. <laughs> so I was really happy. But After how many hours? <laughs> yeah, actually not that many. I only, I only did it, I'd say probably about two or three hours, which isn't that much really. Like, um, so it's pretty good. That's Maybe right. it is, I don't know. Um, but yeah, do you remember a game called Bishy Bashy Special? Yeah. So it's kind of like that um, in a sense of like these little mini games, not quite, not quite like that. That's a fucking game we should do on this, actually. That'd be fun. Bishy Bashy Special, that yeah. would be fun. We should put it on the list. Um, but yeah, that's, the, I did a bit of that, but um, yeah, I don't know, watching wise, fucking no idea, nothing, <laughs> basically. Blah. No. Um, but yeah, and listening to this guy. Mr. Mort. Mort. So yeah, indeed, Mort, death. Um Let's get down to some odd casts. So as Sam mentioned there, uh, we're talking about Mort Garson. Why? Why are we going to talk about <laughs> Mort? Um, why, is he, why is he so odd? I took a quote from All Music, popular uh, cultural analysis website there. 
Mort Garson boasts one of the most unique and outright bizarre resumes in popular music, spanning from easy listening to occult-influenced space-age electronic pop. Who wouldn't want to have a little slice of that? Um, to me... Me? I, no, sorry, spoiler. <laughs> spoiler! Um, <laughs> I, um, I really like what I have heard of his music to date, um, which up until this uh, week was only Plantasia and uh, the album Black Mass. But to me, it's kind of like electronic experimentation in the vein of some other early um, electro kind of innovators like Joe Meek um, and specifically the Moog synthesizer uh, musician, Wendy Carlos, um, who, you know, along with uh, Mort Garson, I think demonstrated that this instrument could be used for serious composition and and not just as a sort of novelty, which is how it was perceived when it was first launched, Um, as well as jingles and some of this like out there 1970s music. Mort Garson also composed some sort of ambient electronic music um, mm-hmm. Not dissimilar to kind of like Brian Eno's discreet music. Um, so as well as being kind of like wacky and out there, he did do some serious and interesting ambient music that really should be rediscovered. So it can be hard to pigeonhole. And I think, um, you know, he's only really just being analysed now. And people are looking at his sort of body of work and trying to understand him as an artist. Um, the album Plantasia, that's a cult favourite. Um and more and more people have been kind of falling in love with that online because of mm. the circulation that it's it's had in recent years. But to, to, to explain to me why that is, why that over everything? Is there a reason? Has it been on it on a list of some sort? Like why has it suddenly got a cult following? I don't know because I mean it came out in nineteen seventy six, and when you look on Discogs, there wasn't then another version of it made available until twenty fifteen which was a bootleg CD, I think. Right. So it spent a long time. But I think I think maybe it was distributed quite widely at the time. Um, and somehow some of it has influenced musicians, but basically made its way online probably around 2010. Right. Someone stuck it on YouTube or something. Um, and I think probably now people appreciate that music more. Um, than like I said at the time when it was perceived as probably just like a throwaway novelty. Right. Um, so just using, yeah, the internet to bring it to more and more ears and younger ears, more appreciative ears, um, has meant that just uh, over the last 10 years, it's really started to kind of grow. Um, it was a couple of years ago, you know, I do my Dreadful Discs Instagram account and I started seeing people talking about it. Um, and someone, one of the people I follow on there, I did some mixtapes and I sent her a mixtape and she sent me back a little Plantasia pin badge that she'd had made. So that really kind of like maybe brought it to my attention a bit more. Um, So yeah, it's just been like building quite organically, I think. Um, And it's just in the last year, the the record label Sacred Bones has really got behind pushing him. Um, So they did this uh, extensive, like official reissue of Plantasia in June yeah. 2019. Um, so obviously he's, you know, he has, he's had some PR behind him now. He's being sort of rehabbed a bit. Um, and that seems to have been really successful as in December, more versions of the album were released. I think initially it was just like a black vinyl and a green vinyl. And yeah. they've done so many now different formats. 
a staggering array, and they're now planning some more uh, reissues. So on the 6th of November, hopefully we're going to be receiving um, three albums from his back catalogue and right. a compilation of rarities called Music from Patch Chord Productions. Okay. Um, so, well, so we thought, you know, let's have a listen to Plant Asia, have a chat about that, uh, rather than try and cover Mort Garson's like huge and sprawling back catalogue, uh, which is also quite hard to access. Um, maybe then we can go back and just listen to these three albums that are going to be coming out in November and let everyone know what we think of them. And maybe okay. have a little sort of uh, reflection on the career of Mort Carson. How's that sound? Cool. That sounds lovely. Divine. So in that case, let's just swing straight into Plant Asia. And let's have a little, little sample of some of that beautiful music. So that was Plantasia. Sam, initial thoughts on this album? So where do I begin? <laughs> um, <laughs> listening to these, much like I did with um, King Gizzard, back to back, kind of puts you in like if it puts you in a certain mind space. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Like generally speaking, so this was the first one I listened to, right? out of the the series that that we put in front of us. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, this is like, this is like in that Friends episode with like Ross, where he's got his like, his keyboard and he just uses like all these random sounds. <laughs> and then I thought they did something similar in the office, the American office with Gabe as well, when he talks about these soundscapes he's creating. Um, and it kind of reminded me, I think because throughout so I'm kind of generalizing across the, the whole of his of his music here that I was listening to, but it feels like sometimes that there's an element where it's just like because he has found a sound, he needs to use it. Yeah. But there's a lot of like whatever and all this stuff. There's tons of it, and it's like it's just like because that sounds amazing or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, probably <laughs> probably then it did. Um, I tell you what, the one thing it did remind me of was. Um, uh, when I went to see uh, Manuel Gottsching. Who's um, that? He uh, is German, um, electro artist, and he did a thing at the Barbican, which is um, this uh, um, venue, basically, but in, in London. Um, it's really cool. Actually, if you haven't been to Barbican, you should do, because um, it's quite cool architecture there as well. It's got yeah. a 60s vibe. Um, and it's like something from a Stanley Kubrick film if you're just walking around, basically, like Clockwork Orange or something. And, <laughs> um, uh, and this guy, so the re- only reason why I went to see him is because Ariel Pink was going to turn up and play with him. So the idea ah. was that the first half, it was going to be in two, I think I told you about this before, um, a while ago, um, it was going to be two halves. The first half was him doing his kind of like solo stuff that he does. But he played for like an hour one song that is like one of his like big electro songs yeah and 
I had this like weird out of body like experience whilst I was sitting there listening to it, which is really weird. And then the second half was supposed to be what Ariel Pink was playing that, uh, which is the band Ashra Temple. I think that's how it's spelled anyway, which um, oh. was him. Yeah. And he got an Ariel Pink can make it. Um, but the people from Ariel Pink's band, you know, that he plays with live or whatever, yeah. um, came in and did stuff. Um, but it meant that they did basically, they didn't do any like singing or whatever. It was just like instrumental, yeah, which is fine. But it kind of like reminded me of that 70s experimental electro stuff. So when you're listing those artists, I was like, oh, yeah, it reminds me of that guy. Um, uh, but this one in particular... <laughs> As well, like the whole album sounds a little bit like um, the Final Fantasy VII like menu screen. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a JRPG, <laughs> and there's a few like chip tune is the kind of genre like moments to it. Um, and I guess like with the other albums as well, it's it's kind of bordering almost on noise. Like actually, the, the genre that is noise, um, and it is experimental. Um, and but yeah, like some of the things with this one in particular, like having the like electronic trumpets and all this yeah. stuff, it's just like ugh, it just makes you feel like I don't want to listen to this. This is like this is weird. I suppose like some of those sounds, especially to modern ears, do sound dated and cheesy. Mm. Um, and I was thinking about that when I was listening to this and some of the others. Occasionally, there are sounds that you just like, oh my god, you roll your eyes. Mm. But I generally. I do think, you know, as you kind of suggested, some of this is really quite influential, especially, like you mm. said, on, like, computer game soundtracks, mm. um, kind of, like, avant-garde, out there, mm. kind of synth music. And that's what I like is it's kind of just, like, bubbling away with ideas. Yeah. I mean, I like the variety, let's say, even though it's kind of the same kind of sounds. You can see that he's trying to do something different. And I imagine, like, way back when working with these instruments like it would have been tough basically to make these sounds slash record them slash yeah. layer them and all this stuff so that's quite impressive in its own right um but, but in terms of some of the like i wrote down some of the tracks that are quite light um uh ode to an african violet yeah quite like that um that's got a strange vibe hasn't it yeah there's something a bit sinister about it and mm. i think those kind of songs that he does that are like more darker I yeah. intend to enjoy more. Basically, I think it works better. Um, yeah. And like what I put here, Rhapsody in Green. It's like the beginning of a weird porno film, um, <laughs> especially in the seventies. Um, swinging. I can't even say this word. Swinging spathithiums. That's brave of you. Is. I was I was going to talk about that, but I decided not to. Just for that was the sole reason <laughs> that I can't pronounce it. Couldn't say it. Um, I thought that one was okay. Um, but once I hated was like, you don't, you don't have to walk a begonia, a mellow mood for maiden hair. I was like, um, and like baby's tears, blues. I was like, it's a bit meh. It's not awful. Yeah. Um, They're all songs. They're a little bit more chipper, aren't they? I think they're all a little bit more. It doesn't work. Buoyant. Yeah. I don't, don't like the happiness of it. The last one, (laughs) the music, music, music to soothe the savage snake plant. Yeah. Um, was fine. It's a bit more magical, I suppose, and it's still got that little dark edge. But generally speaking, um, I was not particularly, it's not that I wasn't impressed, but I was like, okay, done, check, moving on to the next one kind of thing. There was nothing there that I thought 
was particularly amazing. Okay. I get that at the time it probably was, but I was just like, there's probably other stuff I would probably want to listen to, such as the Final Fantasy VII soundtrack. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, hopefully you enjoy some of the other albums more because this one is really... No, I think it's quite different to anything else I've heard by Mort Garson. This to me is kind of like, it's very whimsical. To me, it's very mm-hmm. charming and, uh, you know, bucolic. Um, and it, it's just the sound of the synthesizers here, you know, apart, apart from some of those moments you say where it gets a little bit darker, generally it's just like very joyous and it's just kind of jubilant and bubbling away with the sounds yeah. of fertility. <laughs> <laughs> Um, really leaning, leaning into the plant, plant side of this. Exactly, exactly. So a bit of background on this album, because I mean, it's fascinating to me how this came about. Um, mm-hmm. This was released in 1976 on Homewood Records. Um, if you have a quick look online, I can't find anything else released on Homewood Records. I think it may have actually been his record label. Um mm-hmm. So the full title of this album is Mother Earth's Plantasia, with the subtitle Warm Earth Music for Plants and the People Who Love Them. Um, so he conceived this with a couple called Lynn and Joel uh, Rapp, who ran Mother Earth's Plant Boutique uh, in Los Angeles. Right. Um, and the idea here was it was basically given away for free if you went to the shop and basically bought any houseplant. Um and the idea is that, you know, you play this music and it's designed to help the plants to grow and thrive. Um, and it also came, it came with like a really cool booklet um, and a remedy chart written by the uh, owners. Um, it's weird. It is weird. But so, <laughs> I mean, this is the thing, like that, like, uh, what's that, the like West Coast of America, 1970s. There's just all these like esoteric ideas piling out talking to your plants, yeah. vegetarianism, everything like <laughs> counterculture and hippie-ish. Um, yeah. But apparently there was a book in 1973 that was like a big bestseller called The Secret Life of Plants by Peter Tompkins and Christopher Bird. So yeah. I think they probably got the idea from that. And I think this idea of like just indoor house plants was quite new at the time. So okay. it's just kind of tapping into that. But I mean, it's all very... Silly. I mean, this idea that the music, you know, the music's for the plants, help them grow. Um, you know, it's it, it's a novelty. It pigeonholes this music as being a novelty, and I think that's why, you know, why it's been so extensively ignored for so long. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's I mean, sound, it's, soundtrack for plants. Yeah, it's designed for plants, for plants to listen to. Not, it's not designed for human ears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love the facts as well. I mean, like, you know, plants, they've been around a long time. A couple yeah. of millennia. Um, how have they been growing until 1976? It just has so happens that they love the sound of the Moog, <laughs> which has only been on the market for a couple of years. And specifically, they love the sounds of Mort Garson on the Moog. Scientifically uh, proven. <laughs> Uh, the sounds of Mort and his moog will make your plants grow strong and big. No, it's not sunlight. You always thought it was sunlight and water. Idiots. <laughs> um, Idiots. <laughs> sorry, yes. Apparently, you, know, you mentioned Final Fantasy there. 
There's a song called Concerto for Philodendron and Pothos, mm. which apparently inspired uh, Zelda's lullaby. Brilliant. Because I've literally put, sounds a bit more like menu music for a map in a JRPG. <laughs> uh, so that absolutely does not surprise me. That's brilliant. Um, my favourite song is predictably the opening song, Plantasia. Um, for me, like something nice and gentle about that. But it's kind of really, it's like jubilant and proud. And there's this like, amazing swell of like shimmering like, synthesizer sounds at one point, mm-hmm. and it just pushes it over the top. And it's just like one of the happiest moments on the entire album for me. Um, and in terms of like influencing current sounds, it really, really reminds me of um, Become a Mountain by Dan Deacon, right. which is came out earlier this year um, on, I can't remember what the album's called, but it's probably one of my three favourite albums of the year so far. Right. So um, just to make a point, I'm going to give everyone a little blast of Become a Mountain. So that was Dan Deacon. I'm sure you'll agree the Mort Garson influence is strong. Now we're going to delve back. And I've been doing a bit of digging around. There's not that much information really known, I think, about his life and career. Plant-based, plant-based pun there. That's good. What, 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 oh, digging? Yes. Uh, I'm sure we can find a few more. Drop them in as we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, was it not on purpose? Okay. Fine. It was just... Off the cuff, just off the cuff, just happened. Right. Yeah, call a spade a spade. I don't know. <laughs> just leave it. Let's move on. <laughs> so, Mr. Mort. Yes, who is he? He was, well, Morton Sanford Garson. Uh, he was born on the 20th of July, 1924, in New Brunswick, Canada, but his family moved to New York City while he was young. Um, and he studied piano at the Juilliard Music School. It's one of these like private mm-hmm. performing art type schools. Um, and he began his career during the Second World War as an arranger and pianist uh, before actually serving briefly. Right. Um, after the war, he then pursued a career in the recording industry. And basically, he just kind of got going and moved up and up and up. Uh, he became an active session musician. But he was one of these guys who's able to basically like do anything that's needed. They're handy in the studio. So, you know, yeah. he could write a song, he could like help arranging, uh, he could he could be an orchestrator, conductor, he could play piano, obviously. Um so he had some early successes in his career. In nineteen fifty seven, he co wrote Brenda Lee's minor hit Dynamite. Um yeah. he also co wrote a UK hit. For Cliff Richard. Do you know theme for a dream? No. <laughs> no, it's not it's not up there with his best, is it? It's certainly no Saviour's Day. No. Saviour's Day. Jesus. <laughs> Bloody hell. I can't think the only the only one that I'm like, I 
I think that song's all right. Is she's just a devil woman? Yeah, <laughs> that's it. When well, he went a bit like a bit rock. Know, I've got, I've got, I've got to make sure I don't look gay. Yeah. Let's get let's get a song about a devil woman in. <laughs> what about Wired to Sound? Everyone likes. Uh... Which one's that? It's basically know. like um, a pay-in to The Walkman. Oh, really? Yeah. I've, I've probably heard it and not even not even realised. I just hate Cliff Richard. He's just so like where When he, we keep, I know we're going off on a tangent, but like the fact when he got done by the BBC, he like raided his place looking for basically child porn. Yeah. And, um, and then he came out and was like, oh, because, you know, the BBC told or whatever, like the BBC announced it. Um, uh, announced that it was me and they shouldn't have whatever and all this stuff. And I love the way he's come out like with all these old, other old white, it's like <laughs> C-list celebrities all basically being like, don't call us pedos, even though there was proof enough for you to come raid our house or whatever, but don't call us pedos. <laughs> it's ruined our name. I don't give a shit who you are anymore. You <laughs> like, hey. 30, 30, 40 years ago, maybe your career was hanging by a thread. No, um, I stand with Cliff, man. Shoulder to shoulder. The BBC have had it in for him for a long time. Oh, Don't you remember goodness. when they tried to kill the Millennium Prayer? Kill they, it. They couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't stop Cliff from getting to number one. Christmas number one, last one of the Millennium. Up oh, your, God. Stick that up your pipe, BBC. Bunch I remember of bastards. when that was released. I was just like, what is he doing? He's literally monetized <laughs> <laughs> Christmas hymn, Christmas cow. It's wasn't a genius. It, I think it was all for charity, though, wasn't it? Didn't he give it all to charity? <laughs> did Mort did Mort Garson do anything for charity? <laughs> there he was saving uh, plants. Well, we don't did, know. We don't know that much about him, honestly. Right. About the man he was. We have just a few strewn facts. So he was um, like, if he was born in twenty four, that means he was like fifty when he was putting these out. That is good maths. That's hot maths. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like that's old. He's an old man, and he's on the cutting edge of electronic music. Yeah, well, the music industry back then it was kind of like a bit more dominated, wasn't it, by like older guys? And you, know, you think about like bands like the Beatles and like the early sixties. And they always say you go into the studio, and it was like old men in lab coats. They were technicians. They considered themselves professionals. And right. um, interesting, interesting. Okay, but I suppose like. So- in the in the late sixties, seventies, things started becoming you know a bit looser, and a guy like Mort was able to break away and just kind of explore his own sort of like weird fascinations. And mm. um, anyway, going back to his early career, yeah, um, basically, so that was nineteen sixty one, bit of cliff. Nineteen sixty three, he co wrote one of the great lounge hits of the nineteen sixties. Our day will come. Um, and that was for a band called Ruby and the Romantics. And Sam, that was a number one on the American Billboard charts. Wow. Sold a million copies. Million. Wow. Can you imagine how much money you made from that? Um, um, about a million. I mean, a million dollars. It's got to be pretty sweet back in the day. I don't know. Basically, <laughs> yeah. whatever he made from that, that kind of like sent his career on a sort of new trajectory. Mm-hmm. He apparently at that point kind of like moved more towards thinking about like commercial music. So doing TV adverts, like movies and working with more kind of like mainstream pop acts. Mm-hmm. Right. Anyway, 1967. <laughs> yeah. 
that's when everything changed because he met Robert Moog. Um, oh, right. Okay, we go. And they were able to discuss commercial possibilities of his recently launched synthesizer. Yeah. Um, so basically, like, Robert Moog, like, he made this thing and then he didn't really know <laughs> what the application of it was. Um, so I think they did that, like kind of like touring it around the country and trying to push it and market it to musicians. Um, and he was one of the first ones that really kind of like adopted it and saw the potential and um, I think ex- excited Robert Moog as well with his enthusiasm for it. Right. Um, not long after that meeting, he actually bought his own uh, Moog synthesizer, which at the time was like the equivalent of about $90,000. Fucking um, hell. Uh, apparently at that time, there were only, you know, like less less than 30 musicians that owned one of these so like just just by virtue of that fact he became like a de de facto pioneer um like what what would this moog sound be like now we know like moog we know we can immediately think of like what does that synthesizer music sound like but back then didn't really know they're just trying stuff out pulling out plugs patching them back in coming up with new sounds um but when he started working with this Moog, like apparently everything changed for him. And that's when he became like his most prolific. And he was just chucking out jingles and soundtrack stuff and incidental music for TV. So yeah. he's got this huge like catalogue. People, people probably don't even, it hasn't been archived properly. People don't know like how much of it there is. There's probably stuff out there that's not even attributed to him that he did. I've got a quote here from a guy called Chris Geisler, who is uh, a a manager at Moog. He said, I don't think anybody can overstate the value of getting the music into the marketplace in the very clever and understated way that Mort did. The jingle work he did got the sound of the Moog into radio and television. The sound became more familiar and recognisable. So there's already there's this kind of like intersection with like him as a musician, but also as a kind of like a, it's a very commercial mind at work. Yeah. From a business sense, economic sense, and a creative sense, by the sounds of it. Exactly. He had a business mind. Around the same time, uh, Walter Carlos, at that point, aka Wendy Carlos, um, in 1968, did an album called Switched On Bark, which was just mm-hmm. all Moog uh, reinterpretations of, of uh, Bark compositions. And that made a big splash in the... Um, the record industry and I influenced a lot of musicians. So at the same, yeah, he was there, I think at the same time, uh, pushing right. forward. So some of his early albums before we get to, you know, we're going to talk about these three records that sacred bones are going to be reissuing. Right. Uh, the earliest of which was recorded in 1970. Um, mm-hmm. but even before you get to that, he did some, you know, he's got some, some big milestones, I think in his catalog. Um, so around that time that he met Robert Moog, he was already working on something called Cosmic Sounds, which was released under the name The Zodiac in 1967. Right. Um, I mean, you can. It just sounds so to me. It sounds ridiculous. It's like so like psychedelic, hippie, trippy kind of stuff. It's all new age shit. Yeah, uh, I haven't heard it myself. After right. that, he did Love Sounds in 1968, which is kind of like easy listening. Um, also that year, The Connection, which is a collection of some of his electronic TV commercials. It's already like, you can see how eclectic this stuff is that he's putting out. 
1968, you've also got The Wazard of Is, mm-hmm. um, which is one of his bigger albums, I think, and more loved. Um, and that's kind of like trippy, psychedelic, like electronic Broadway kind of music with, with narration right. as well. The year after that, 1969, he does electronic hair pieces, mm-hmm. which is a Moog reinterpretation of the hair musical. Oh, is it? So I listened to that one. What did you think? Um, I didn't mind it. There was actually a few things. There was there was basically three songs that I really liked on it. Yeah. Um, I quite like the first one, Aquarius. But it's quite funky. had a bit of a hook to it. Um, you know that song, pre- don't you? Yeah, the oh, original. Of course. Yeah. This well, now is I did. the coming it. of the age of Aquarius. Oh. <laughs> what, how much of an idiot am I? <laughs> Fuck's sake. Yeah. Um, oh, but it God, sounds better when he does it. it. It does, yeah. Well, I didn't even realise, well, that's just goes to show, I didn't even fucking realise it was the same melody that had anything to do with hair. But, um, well, this is going to sound stupid now, but 3500, whatever that is. Like, I've never seen hair, so I don't actually no, know. No, likewise. Um, I was like, this sounds a bit like Daft Punk ish, which I'm sure obviously they would have, they'd be, they lap all the shit up anyway. Yeah. Same. But I haven't heard her. And obviously I know that Aquarius song, but I really enjoyed it. And again, it's just like nice sounds and textures. And obviously some of the songs are good songs anyway. But by kind of like eradicating the really like in your face, happy, clappy (laughs) sound of it, it's actually made it more palatable to me. Same year, 1969, this is really cool. He gets asked to provide music to soundtrack the television broadcast of the Apollo 11 moon landing. So however many million Americans tune in on TV to watch the module landing on the moon, they're all hearing Mort Garson and they're all hearing the Moog, which made Robert Moog very happy. (laughs) He said the only sounds that go along with space travel are electronic ones. And obviously that kind of music with the image of the moon landing probably was like a big cultural moment because it helped kind of cement the connection between space and the sounds of, you know, electronic synthesized music. And that then it becomes kind of like futuristic. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. One of the, um, just on that point, uh, one so yeah, two two things really. I you remember I made a short film called Bloom. Do you remember that? Okay, I'm always banging on the belly on here every now and then. Years and years ago, made a short film called Bloom. And what happened was I was looking for a location, and I was out in um, I think it was in West London somewhere, and uh, it was an artist's um, place basically. And it was just this big, um, weird, uh, like a kind of warehouse kind of thing. It wasn't that big, sorry, I should say. It's like, but it's in it. It could have been like an old bakery or something like that. It's quite spacious. Um, but she was like, it was this typical, like, she looked a bit French, very tall, thin, beautiful, and all this stuff. And she's doing all this painting and stuff. And um, my uh, production manager had found it. And then I came in, looked around. It had all the bits I wanted. I thought, this is great. But at the same time, she had this like weird fucking like, music playing in the background. And I was like, what is, what is this? And she was like, this is the sounds of space. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was, and basically what it was, was it was recordings from different planets that were reinterpreted into audio, basically. 
and turned into this music. And it hit such a weird, resonated with me in such a weird way that I've, I use it quite frequently. And I used it in my actual short film that I made when uh-huh. I shot there um, as well. And uh, yeah, so when it's like, um, it's funny because it's, you know, talking about the sounds of space and all that stuff and how that might be part of the influence of it, that it's very similar to that kind of interpretation of what these, the sounds literally that these planets are making, if you can say that. Yeah. Um, but you can go on YouTube and search it out. It's not like a, you know, it's not like this <laughs> rarity or something. It's just on YouTube and stuff. Um, but yeah, it it felt like that a little bit. And it goes back to, you know, like I mentioned earlier, kind of Joe Meek's early synthesizer and electronic experimentation was always wrapped up in ideas about space, like Telstar, obviously a big hit. Um other stuff he was doing. What's that one called? It's got a really good EP that I picked up a reissue of like last year, I think. Uh, I hear a new sound. Um, just really wacky, wild stuff. Mm. But there always yeah, seems to have been that Meek, synergy. Um, yeah, I did a, studied a bit of Joe Meek at uni, randomly. Um, but it's the only time I've ever actually listened to him. I haven't listened to him at all since, and that's like obviously quite a few years ago. Um we need to do yeah, it. We should, yeah, we need to put him on the list maybe as well. Um, yeah, cool. Anyway, sorry. Well, that leads us on, I think, really to 1970 and the first of these albums that's getting reissued. And that is Didn't You Hear? So this first came out on the tiny little label called Custom Fidelity um, mm-hmm. with a big sticker on the front that says the first completely electronically scored motion picture. Experience sounds and sensations you never have before. Um, yeah, so is this for an actual film? It was, yeah. So this was basically Mort Garson uh, approached and working in collaboration with an independent filmmaker called uh, Skip Sherwood. Um the movie's on IMDb, so the, the film and the album came out apparently on the 16th of December 1970, and the album was only ever sold in the lobby of actual screenings of the film. Um, IMDb says that it was debuted in uh, February 1971, so there's a discrepancy there. But basically it got, you know, very limited screening um, in Seattle, um and yeah like i said the album wasn't available in stores so god knows how many copies there are probably very few and basically after it was screened it just vanished and then it came out on video in 1983 so it's a really obscure film um and this album has never been reissued so this one that's coming out now is the first ever time um I really liked it. I thought, to me, it's very psychedelic. It's quite dark, dreamy. 
Yeah. But actually occasionally very nightmarish. And I, I like yeah. this kind of like very stark black and white cover. I think that really suits the music. Um, Sam, did you like this one? Yeah, this is one of the better ones for me when I was listening to it. Um, yeah, again, it felt like it was a lot, as you said, like a lot darker. Um, I should say that uh, the fact that when I started it and they were singing, that was a bit of a surprise. Like the first yeah. last track is someone singing. Um, and I quite liked the singing. I thought it was quite melancholy. Um, and yeah, those tracks in particular feel very like soft and a bit more heartfelt, um, which I quite enjoyed. Um, yeah, it felt a bit more experiment. I mean, it's all kind of experimental, but there were some tracks here which I was like, um, yeah, feels that he's kind of playing around with stuff a bit more. The dream sequence songs I really liked. Yeah. Strangely, I don't really know why I like them either. But yeah, as you said, just like the way it's um, literally dreamy, and these are called dream sequence one, dream sequence two. <laughs> um, Do you hear any Kevin aerial paper? Scene? Yeah, a little bit. I think so, a little bit. Um, and yeah, like Kevin's theme, Kevin and Paige, who are, I'm guessing are characters in the film. Simple. Like that, and that's the thing is that I think with, uh, with the Planet Pl- Pl- Station and some of the other stuff, is that sometimes there's just like so much going on. I'm just mm. like, but like with Kevin's theme and Kevin and Paige, it's quite simple. And mm. It's quite dark and con- contemplative at the same time. So I enjoy those more because they feel like there's it's less busy and it's more um, like kind of focused. And I like the fact that there was a song called uh, Walk to Grange Hill. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> Grange, Grange Hall. Oh. <laughs> Grange Hill was a, a children's TV show here in the UK throughout the 80s. Um, With an iconic theme tune. Dire. It did have an iconic theme tune. There were some famous people that came out of that, wasn't it? It wasn't Dexter Fletcher in it. Yeah. Dean Grange Hill. Yeah, Todd, Todd Carty. Nice. <laughs> the fuck is Todd Carty? <laughs> Todd Carty. Mark, uh, Mark and EastEnders. Oh, yeah, Mark and EastEnders, yeah. And, so, um, yeah, that's true. He was the he was the main one in Grade Hill for a while, wasn't he? It was yeah. late 70s, I should say, wasn't it? Yeah. He was in the 70s. Yeah, right? 70s, 80s and 90s. Oh, my God. And maybe yeah, even 90s. beyond. Maybe even beyond. Yeah, true. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, generally speaking, I liked this. This was up there with uh, some of the better stuff that I've heard from Mort, Rick and Morty. Do you think maybe... Every time I read Garcon, sorry, <laughs> just talking shit. Every time I hear Garcon, I've got that little voice in my head going, Garcon means boy. Do you know where that's from? Oh, no. Pulp Fiction. Oh. It's beginning of Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Tim Ross going, Garcon, coffee. <laughs> goes, Garcon means boy. And every time <laughs> Mort Garcon, Garcon means boy. Sorry, it's the heat. This is this is what you warned about at the beginning, and I've got all the windows closed, and I've kind of gone a bit um, I've gone a bit mad. So apologies. That's all right. We'll forgive you. Um, do you think this music? This music didn't help. <laughs> there is it. It does send you into a strange kind of uh, place. This music. It's very much the soundtrack to like smoking hash at a nineteen seventy head psychedelic party or something, isn't it? Um, yeah, it does, feel, it does feel like that. I think maybe the, the, what I was going to say was <laughs> maybe the soundtrack format freed him up to make some of these like tracks that are a little bit more hazy, 
they're not so busy, mm-hmm. like you said. Um, yeah. And that seems to work in his favour. Some nice kind of like more soundscapey stuff here. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, because he might be doing it more for a, a thematic reason rather than, I wonder what this one does. <laughs> this is a cool sound. I'm going to play with this one. What happens if I put this here? I don't know why I've made it sound like that. That's <laughs> how he is going in my head. You'll take on a Canadian accent. I liked that yeah. uh, title track as well. I, I looked up the guy, the, the singer, and he's called Tom Munkriev, apparently. And he has no other credits on Discogs, but apparently yeah. he was the vocalist of a garage band from New Mexico called the Beckett Quintet. But to me, he sounded a bit like a, he was a crooner. He didn't sound like a garage band singer. It reminded me a little bit of the melody of You're Not Alone yeah, by Roy Orbison. Um, but <laughs> yeah. I just, and that then made me think, like, this is quite, like, lynchy. This idea of like, a, it's kind of like yeah, was, dreamy yeah. kind of crooner song to kind of lead the album in. It's very Twin Peaksy, And then you go into all this like weird, ambient, strange stuff. I really liked mm. No Smoking. I don't know if you remember that one. It's really harsh. Yeah. Like that was dark and weird. Yeah. I've put here more experimental slash dark. And then at the end, I've just put, it's okay. Oh. <laughs> It's like it's quite aggressive that track. I thought I was surprised. You know, only really, mm. you know, coming off of Plantasia, it's like whoa. Um, sail, sail. Mm. That one. It had this like really mournful kind of like clanging, just kind of like a bell, but I mean, obviously like a synthesized bell. So it felt unnatural, mm. and these like pulses and sort of like electronic undulations created this really nightmarish kind of mood. Really quite a evocative song that. Mm-hmm. Um, Bamboo City, that one stood out for me. That had like a quite driving beat behind it. And I was like, this sounds like kind of like mid-90s EDM, but like yeah. a terrifying version, like Aphex Twin or something. Yeah. No, yeah, I didn't mind that one, actually. So that was all right. Um, what did you think of Jeep Ride? It started off really um, wild, like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then quite quickly, it's just like, we're going on a jeep ride. <laughs> it sounded like, like a level from an, um, like a platform game, like where it's yeah, like something really th- intense happens, and then you're just going along on a boat or something. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't write anything down for it. So there's a few here which just kind of like washed over me, and I think that was one of them. <laughs> but the fact, yeah, I do vaguely remember it, and uh, yeah, I didn't think about the fact that it's like yeah, they're in a jeep and they're just chilling out. Yeah, or something in the latter half. Onto the jeep, okay, we're in the jeep. Take it easy, <laughs> take it easy. We're good. <laughs> um, well, all in all, I really liked Didn't You Hear, and I'm probably going to try and pick up a copy of that when that comes out. Yeah, well, I thought it's quite ironic it's called Didn't You Hear, seeing as it's just uh, released in the lobby there for yeah. cinemas. Didn't you hear? Because no one did. <laughs> well, another bit of irony you might enjoy... Someone's commented on the IMDb stuff saying that when it um, had its first screening, um, that there were like really severe snowstorms and apparently only two or three people turned up to see the film and um, there were some difficulties <laughs> with the, the screening itself and the first 10 minutes were silent. Probably. Brutal, isn't it? Well, poor old, poor old Skip, Skip Sherwood. Are you inclined to see the film? No. We'll move on then. Um <laughs> Next on our list, also being reissued in November, is 1971's Black Mass. 
So this came out on the Uni record label, um, which is a bit more well-known, a bit more extensively distributed. Um, and this was released under the name Lucifer. So this is another problem with Mort Garson, is that he's released so much of his music under pseudonyms. Uh, and a lot of them are just like one-off names for certain projects. So uh, Lucifer here, um, this is... Mort's sort of synthesizer interpretations of occult and esoteric phenomena, ranging from the satanic black mass to exorcism, witchcraft, and beyond. To me, you know, obviously a lot more dark and sinister, um, but also kind of goofy as well. But all in all, it's it's really kind of wild. Um, this is mm. probably the best known alongside Plantasia, um, and in many people's book, this is his best piece of work. Sam. Yeah, I agree. I hate to like fucking follow the crowd, don't I? <laughs> I'm not even, I'm not even conscious of it, literally. So this was by far um, my favorite album of the stuff that I listened to because um, it's darker. It is yeah. for obvious reasons. The fact that he's fucking called it Lucifer, and I just feel it's like a lot, a lot better. Um, and yeah, just going, just going through it. Like I'm with my, just going through my notes. Like Solomon's bum ring or whatever. I mean Solomon's ring. It was um, quite fuzzy and distorted, <laughs> very chipped, very chipped tune. I thought, um, and it, I was like, "This is like John Carpenter stuff," and I like yeah. it. Um, I really enjoyed that idea of it. Um, the ride of I, I don't know, say Ada, Ida, whatever. Um, I thought it was okay. Again, experimental. And what I liked about it is that it wasn't like in time, which is quite strange. Mm. Um, but I quite enjoyed that aspect of it. Incubus, I didn't really like. Um, the song Black Mass itself um, I liked the fact that it was really weird I enjoyed the darkness of it and there's that kind of clapping in the background felt like sonically there was kind of like more depth and again like the distortion was quite cool and it had a few riffs in there which I thought were quite nice um, The Evil Eye again was an example of where he kind of it kind of delves a little bit into like the noise territory, even though it wasn't, well, I don't know if it was a thing or not, but then, but as in, it kind of feels like a bit noise. Yeah. Um, exorcism. I've put here, like, I love the drum sound, but, and I've put Depeche mode or something like oh, that. Oh, wow. Like, like it feels like that drum sample, whatever he used, it's like almost like, it's like that, um, like black celebration. I think whatever it's called. Oh yeah. Like, um, the Depeche mode album, that kind of like clanging pipe, kind of like weird, it's kind of industrial, I suppose, but like that kind of, yeah, it just felt dark. And, um, but it kind of got a bit jazzy at one point for my taste, but, um, yeah, I did I, the drum sound I really loved. Um, or maybe, maybe the pipe thing was the philosopher's stone actually. Cause I said, Oh, this is like silent hill. Um, and I think, yeah, like one of the things I love about silent hill is the, um, the composer, oh, what is his name? As I can't remember, but, um, Japanese guy, obviously. And, uh, I thought a lot of this stuff in this album sounds like that composer guy. Um, and yeah, I think the Philosopher's Stone was one of those. So if you like, you know, Silent Hill soundtrack, which I do, then yeah, I'd probably go check out, check out this album. 
Um, and yeah, what else? Like with trial, uh, witch trial, sorry, idiot, um, was weird. Uh, quite like that one as well. Voice of the Dead was more experimental. ESP, I hated that final track. Like, <laughs> why did why you end it like that? <laughs> it's like ending it with like a sound effect or something. Mm. And in fact, it's got ESP, like, oh, he's coming into my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, fuck's sake, you had to ruin it with that last bit. That's the thing, isn't it? It, 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 it veers at times into the hokey and the uh, kitschy. Um, yeah. But I mean, that's, that's kind of like the uh, prerequisite for this and some of these out there kind of projects. Um, it reminds me of an album I, my, my friend Mark recommended to me uh, from the year before, 1970, by a band called Black Widow. It's called Sacrifice. Mm. It's the same kind of thing where it's like, you can imagine these kind of hip people in San Francisco being like, hey, we're going to have an occult party and get all their friends around, smoke all over the pot and maybe do a Ouija board and put this album on and kind of just like prance around and act like a bunch of tits. Um, We're Satanists now. Yeah. (laughs) It's even got... Love you, Satan. It's got... (laughs) It's got the original album has got liner notes from a guy called Michael Owen Jones, who was a um, a tutor at the Center for the Study of Comparative Folklore and Mythology. So it's like like with the Plantasia, there's this kind of attempt to attach some kind of like pseudo scientific relevance to it. Um, and this for each song, there's like a long check my head. (laughs) There's like a long essay accompanies each song title about like these aspects of the occult. Um, I like, um, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's a little bit too campy, um, but I think I enjoy it for what it, for what it is. And, you know, like you said, there's a lot of really good moments in there um, and that have obviously been influential. Every now and then you hear a sound that you think, oh my God, that's really, that echoes something I've heard from like the 80s or the 90s. Um, I really liked, my favourite was Witch Trial. Mm-hmm. I thought there's something kind of like goblin-esque about it. Yeah. It's like a bit of howling and it's a bit more intense and a bit more uh, genuinely chilling than the rest of the music. Mm. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You know, any others that stood out to you? Any that you hated? So you're giving quite glowing reviews here. <laughs> I don't think I hated any of it. Um, you like TSP with, then, just to check? Well, I don't know if I'd say I loved it. Don't, don't, let, me, don't let me influence you in any, <laughs> anyway. Just, just check, just check in. That's all. I like, I, like the, I like it as a body of work. Um, Right. But certainly the the sillier moments are probably the thing you know the bits that don't don't quite work for me. This isn't my favourite, you know. I actually preferred um, the other one. one. <laughs> well, we just talked about didn't you hear? Didn't you hear? I thought that felt like a bit more of a serious piece of work. But that's why I mean I think like, he he seems to have this commercial mind of like let's put that out and capitalise on whatever fad or trend is going on at the moment. And I'll just use that as a... making enough copies, though, was he? Marketing, <laughs> marketing was pretty poor. This one, this one seemed to do quite well, and it did get reissued quite a lot uh, throughout the years. Yeah, so yeah. it's quite kind of easier to get hold of that one. Um, we'll move on to 1975, jumping forward four years, mm-hmm. uh, with the album "The Unexplained," and this one was on RCA. So this one really got. Uh, Quite nice distribution, and there's again loads of copies available. This was his only release under the name Ataraxia. Oh, right. Okay. Um, this yeah. one was subtitled Electronic Musical Impressions of the Occult. So kind of staying in the similar territory as Lucifer. Um, so when, when did this come out? 1975. So four Again, years Again, he's in, he's in his 50s or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Dappling in all this stuff. Jesus. I don't, I, I've he just must made have been... an album about the occult. Um, <laughs> I've just had my anal glands screens. <laughs> I've got a new pair of glasses and I've decided to worship Satan <laughs> and make an album. These hippies will love it. These fucking Satanists. They'll lap it up, the <laughs> bastards. Make some of that Satan money. That sweet, sweet Satan money. Well, this one veers slightly away from the the pure Satanism of Black Mass, exploring things like tarot, astral projection, seances, and more. More like the the periphery of Satanism. (laughs) Yeah. Black Mass is too hardcore for you. You just want to dabble. Dip your toe in. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I can see that. What did you think? What were the highlights of this one for you? Um, for me, I really liked that uh, track, Tarot, the opening song. So mm-hmm. this, 
I preferred this album again to Black Mass. I think it's a little bit richer. There's a bit more depth. Um, and it isn't quite as campy. Um, but Tarot, there's like loads of drama in that one. Uh, Deja Vu is very atmospheric. Sounds very exorcisty. Mm-hmm. Um, the Unexplained title track, this one, this might be one of my favorite pieces of music I've heard from him. It's got a really like dirty groove and it's actually pretty damn funky. Which one? The Unexplained. All right, yeah. I've put, yeah, a bit more funky, but blur. Well, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. You, need, you need to, you need to like lock into that groove, man. You need to enjoy <laughs> the dirt. Once, once you locked in, then it starts to uh, seep into your every cell of your being. The, uh, the unexplained funk is something that I find in my pipes of my bath. Maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe in my ears. Maybe it needs to be explained. Yes. Should have, done, <laughs> should have done the version the explained for people who uh, need a little bit of uh, urging reassurance. Idiots. Idiots <laughs> like me. Exactly. Um, and I really liked Wind Dance. That really stood out because um, it's got some pretty crazy beats under it. It makes it sound to me like something like 90s, like house remix of a rock song that you get on a CD single, like yeah. a Crystal Method remix or something. God, um, yeah. But it was really quite like freaky and kind of alarming. Like when it came on, got going, I was like, what the hell's going on? Really made me sit up and pay attention. <laughs> Wind dance sounds so nice. It sounds like Satan's something like in my room. Yeah, something like beautiful, like Native American or something. It's just horrible, terrifying. Oh dear, the wind dance of the toilet. That's why <laughs> relates to more. Um, that's the last track on it, isn't it? The wind dance. Yeah. yeah. Any other favourites for you? Yeah, I've had. I've put here that you know, again, it's quite dark. Um, yeah, tarot quite light. It's quite energetic. Um, I liked Sorcerer, and as I was listening to Sorcerer, I was imagining Conan, as in not Conan O'Brien, as in Conan the Barbarian, but maybe Conan O'Brien, wandering through a cave or something like that. It felt quite had those kind of dry, tribal drums yeah. um, to it, which I weirdly was like, okay, where's this going? I'm kind of locked in a bit here, quite like this. Deja Vu I thought was really good. What was really random is as I was listening to it, Deja Vu, um, my phone has a thing at the, where sometimes it'll pop up with what song you're listening to. It'll just like pick it up and put it on the screen of your phone. And it had David Guetta, whatever you say it, dangerous. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe he sampled it. Nope. Sounds completely, <laughs> completely <laughs> different. Um, but yeah, for some reason the computers can't get their head around it apparently. Um, but yeah, I like Deja Vu. Uh, I feel like there's something there that could be cool. I think it, I think it's something that, Someone could actually take a sample of that um, if it's not David Guetta and actually do something pretty sweet with it. Um, but yeah, I thought it was right. Um, Astral Projection, I didn't really like. I thought it was too long. Seance, not really. Um, yeah, The Unexplained was, was, again, a bit more funky. But yeah, um, but yeah, for me, like Deja Vu um, was probably my favourite track on that album, perhaps. Nice. I think that's a, a recommendation from us both. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. I liked um, Black Mass more, to be fair, but yeah, it's, I still like this one. Why? What? Why did you like that more? I don't know. I think I don't know, but uh, I like. I, the only reason I really know why I liked it more is because I ranked them at the end and I put Black Mass on top. So um, obviously, there's something. I've made the decision about it at some point for some reason. 
I mean, like I said, everyone seems to think that, that is the best. Um, I, I liked this a bit more, maybe because it's a bit later on. I don't know if he's kind of found ways to develop more textures or sounds or something, but this it felt a bit deeper in terms of like the sonic palette and just a bit broader in terms of the kind of scope of moods that it's exploring. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, th- I thought it was cool. Again, I'd be interested in picking up this if it comes out. Um, well, when it comes out, unless it gets coroned. So... Those are the albums that are, yeah, coming out. They're the kind of, I suppose, linchpins of Mort Garson's catalogue at the moment. Um, shall we move on, Sam, into Nerd Corner? Oh, yes. Yes, please. So here we are in Nerd Corner. Um, because some of these records have just been like, put out and forgotten and didn't see a lot of action. Um, there isn't all that much really until recently right. when there's been a sudden explosion of interest in uh, in his work and so many bootlegs and things coming out. But just recently, for example, Black Mass saw its first uh, release on Compact Disc. Mm-hmm. So in 2018, um, only 1,000 copies were put out um right. considering like i said that's probably thought to be his best album that's where a lot of interest lies the fact there's only a thousand copies but can you believe geffen put that out oh, that's weird they saw enough commercial uh, possibility in black mass um only a thousand then only a thousand so you can still snap it up suggest you do it before mort takes off into the stratosphere yeah um the really cool ones are the Plantasia reissues uh, on Sacred Bones that came out last year. So, like I said, there's so many of them. Most of them are variations of green. Right. Makes sense. One of my favourites is the Spider Plant version. So a lot of these as well were like exclusives for certain record shops or like online retailers. So Spider Plant variation was with the Record Society. Um, it's really nice, like green with like white kind of splatter going through it, like in a starburst pattern. Very beautiful. Okay. The one I'd like someone to buy for me would be uh, Clear with Green Blob, which I don't know if you know them, Vinyl Me Please, who are like a subscription service. So you right. sign up with them and you don't really know every month they yeah. like do a nice uh, like reissue of something. So they did this. Yeah, I mean, Clear with Green Blob is a pretty accurate description. Are you on Final Me, please? No, just because, I mean, it's quite expensive and you don't really know what you're going to get. Uh, I'd rather just... I quite like the idea of that, though. I love I, I love the idea of, like, the mystery, but maybe it was, like, a seven-inch single club or something, a bit cheaper. Right, right. I can't commit to, like, buying a random album every month. Got, yeah, uh, I've, got, I've got a list <laughs> that I need to yeah. work my way through. Yeah, I need to, like, set up, because I still haven't got... Um, I've got a record player buried somewhere um and i'm thinking i'm gonna try and set up my own space at some point and put that there and i was thinking do i want to go down the vinyl route again is that like a, a journey that i want to go back you know what i mean because i'm yeah. so used to do it way back when but i was like can i can i go back onto that road i feel like i might get a bit lost it might become a money pit 
Um, it's an expensive it, habit. Yeah, yeah. It becomes very addictive. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I think because we're talking about it a lot as well, final these days, it's kind of starting to fan the flames a little bit. Dive right in, but uh, make sure you set aside a little bit of budget. <laughs> <laughs> I like this one, chlorophyll splatter. Just the name's good. Mm. All of these reissues as well, this is nice. They came with the uh, like download card, um, and it's been embedded with wildflower seeds. So once you've like typed your code in and downloaded your MP3s, you can literally plant this card under a layer of soil and uh, grow some plants and play them some more garson. Why not? Made from his ashes. (laughs) (laughs) I actually think my favourite is the green-yellow snake plant. Um, There were 100 copies in the UK. I don't know what I was doing, because I already liked this album, and I knew it was coming out, but I totally snoozed on this. And now I'm looking at all these thinking, I I would love one of these. So I'm definitely going to get in there and order these like reissues. Before they yeah, come. why not? The other thing that I thought was really cool, and it's so frustrating that I couldn't get a copy of it, but around the same time, presumably like as a promotion, I think if you bought it online directly from Sacred Bones, some people got something called a mixed tape of music. Mm. And, well, it's what it says on the can, right? It would be like the perfect promotional record for Mort Garson, but also like a nice kind of like entry point if you don't know him, if you're doing a show like we're doing now. Yeah, Um, yeah. Because it's got stuff from across his whole career. You know, it's got some of those songs that I mentioned earlier, like Ruby and the Romantics, Our Day Will Come, that he co-wrote. But it's also got some of his like rare uh, commercials. It's got stuff by Lucifer, Ataraxia, um, that Zodiac stuff. Uh, the Blobs. He did the soundtrack for a film called Son of Blob. So yeah. it's just a really good, like, wild array of uh, his stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was only available as, like, some exclusive thing. And I tried to see if anyone had put, like, a, a rip online, but I couldn't find it. Um, so that would be one definitely for everyone to seek out. If you see a copy of that tape, I'd snap it up. So, cool. I think we should move on to uh, hearing some of the reviews. I hate it. Yeah, so, um, got some, uh, <laughs> I haven't really gone through these properly, but um, Jay Smith, um, Jay Smith, has said that it is one of the best albums ever. And when I say one of the best albums, what is he talking about? He's talking about Fantasia. Um, absolutely amazing album. Probably one of the greatest albums I've ever had the pleasure of listening to. It's soothing, thought-provoking, and genuinely magical. I'd describe listening to Plantasia to be like going on a journey to a fantasy land where everything is as perfect as can be. Think about that. I love it. I would have written that myself if I had more creativity. um and unfortunately that's really the only one that we've got (laughs) there are other ones that are a bit longer but it's like they're just saying how great it is um but yeah as you probably imagine there's not that many general reviews for um maud garson but i'm interested if anyone's got any um that they find that they want to send in i'd I'd like to see them especially funny ones because it's he's a bit of a this is a bit of an odd odd one 
Um, he's a bit of a character, and, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. Uh, and oddcastoddballs at gmail.com. Um, send them in if you can, if you like. I'd like to see it. I'd love to hear some bad ones. Because you can imagine some people coming to this music and just going, what the hell is this? I'd love to hear I feel some... like, yeah, I feel like it's hard for anyone to kind of stumble across it. That's true. Like you're, seeking, you're seeking it out if you're getting it. Yeah, right? yeah. So you're probably already a fan. Well, they should, they should force some people, some confused old people to listen to it. I don't know what's yeah, happening well, they, to them. Well, they, well, that's exactly what happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> you did that with me. <laughs> spent the last couple of days uh, for me. <laughs> right, time for our final impressions on Mr. Garson. Oh, God. I would like yeah. to say I believe him to be an anonymous innovator whose most heard work wasn't even attributed to him. For example, the jingles and TV interludes that he made. He walked a line between commercial output and increasingly outlandish side projects to satisfy his creative urge. Poor old You're Maud. just reading this out. Well, from my notes. <laughs> <laughs> like his eulogy. <laughs> uh, he, um, do you know, poor old Mort, yeah, he lived a long life. He died in San Francisco uh, in 2008, aged 83. And <laughs> Sacrificed. <his> <laughs> <laughs> died on an upside down uh, cross. <laughs> doing what he loved which was worshipping Satan <laughs> as an old man <laughs> he, um, he died surrounded by goats uh, <laughs> <laughs> still busily like plugging cables into his move <laughs> yeah. uh, his daughter said that he never stopped writing until his death and that he still kept his studio. Then he stopped. Yeah, well, <laughs> or did he? Yeah. Still composing yeah. from beyond the other realm. Mm. Decomposing. He, oh my God. He, God, that was a good one. Was that good. was a good one. <laughs> I think you gave that enough credit. <laughs> uh, just, I'm trying to be reverent here. Sorry, sorry. Poor old Mort. He doesn't get a lot of coverage, so we need to, we need to big him up. He was, look, he was a passionate, dedicated look. man, Sam. Yeah. He was yeah, writing until his that. death. Yes. So the thing that's... Letters nice, to the council. Yeah. <laughs> complaining, <laughs> complaining about the neighbours and whatever <laughs> old people do. Trying to get £50 crossword <laughs> prizes. Uh, he, look, he has left Sam. Boxes and boxes and boxes of unpublished, unused music. For me? Well, he's, left Sam, well, he's left Sam um, boxes of unpublished music. It's there. It's there oh, there's the a picking. comma. Right. It's, there for, okay, right. it's there for the picking. Anyone could take up this offer. Someone needs to reissue some more of his music, basically. Um, his daughter said, I don't understand music. I don't read music. I have tons of music that could be really important, but I don't know what to do with it. So, I mean, that's why Sacred Bones have probably come in and um, used the opportunity to get Plantasia out there. But there's still time for enterprising individuals to maybe have a word with her and let's get more Mort out there into the uh, public sphere. Maybe we could have uh, we could have an odd cast records. Yeah, I don't know if um, Mort Garson would be the one. <laughs> come on, man! That's how we could <laughs> we could stake our name on this. 
Yeah. I tell you what, you do you do, the, you do the research yeah. and uh, and come back to me on it and why it's such a great business venture. Sounds okay. Great. So we'll do that and we can do the Polygon of <laughs> Wonderland, Polygon the Wonderland, King Gizzard album yes. as well. Yeah. Good point. See? Yeah. It's the first two. coming together. Brilliant. We, we need something to do. We can't just do the podcast all the time. We've got to make some money. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's got to be a, it got to be a reason for all this, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sam, your yeah, final impressions, like. please. And I would like you to give them by delivering them through an impersonation of Lucifer himself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. then it's a bit messed up in the head um but his music's okay i guess for the time and i appreciate all the attention that he gave me and my fans (laughs) (laughs) thank you lucifer out (laughs) wow How's that? That was, I mean, that oh, was I don't know what came over we, me. We 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 were able to use Oddcast to summon the devil himself. Yes, got a massive penis as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what was speaking through you. <laughs> that was Quite the mouthpiece all the way through you. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's disgusting. Come on. In all seriousness, mm. um. His daughter also said he would be fascinated by the fact that people are finally understanding and appreciating this part of his musical career that he got no admiration for back then. Yeah, so, the Van Gogh of his time. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. It's, I just, you know, I like seeing uh, you know, some of these artists of the sixties and seventies sort of uh, celebrated, brought to a brought to a wider audience. So um, mm. it's nice to spend some time. No, have this episode to actually dig a bit deeper. Having only known those two albums, and yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of joking around, but in all honesty, there's some of that stuff. I was like, yeah, I quite like this, and it's. I think um, I appreciate the fact that it's inspired a lot of stuff which I do like, and you can kind of see that in there. Um, you know, one way or another, it's inspi- inspired it. So um, I think I appreciate it, but I'm not. Um, you know, there's a. It's like ten percent of it that I actually really liked let's say yeah um and then another 10 percent, which i thought was all right and the rest i was a bit like i eh, don't really care for it um but yeah i could still appreciate it without actually having to go out and Ever listen, listen to, to it, it again <laughs> yeah <laughs> basically uh i did my bit so that was mort garson i suppose now we need to know what we're going to talk about next week yeah 
Let's do it. Right. I'm going to press the button. Are you ready? I am ready. Here we go. Three, two, one. Oh, it's one of yours. Uh, really? But, um, but it's one that I also like. Okay. Uh, it's the, it's the, it, cha- it just changed, but I'm taking the one before, which was, uh, for some reason, it loaded it twice. But it was the Young Ones TV show. Oh, cool. The Young Ones. I forgot I put that on there. Um, so what we're going to do, because there was two series of Young Ones, right? Yeah. So what we're going to do, we're just going to kind of go over it generally. Are we going to take a season? How should we do it? <sighs> I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch two series worth of Young Ones. I know there's only like 12 episodes or whatever. But um, I could kind of reacquaint myself with them, let's say, rather than watching them all back. Yeah, I think if we do a series overview, um, and we can maybe touch on a few key episodes, maybe, mm-hmm. and talk a little bit about maybe some of like what led to the series, what they did afterwards, any other bits and bobs that fans of the TV series might want to check out, like books. Tie-ins, yeah. other things like that. Yeah, so we should say just in a nutshell that um, uh, for because a lot of Americans listen to this and they probably don't know what Young Ones is. So Young Ones was part of the what's known as basically the new wave of comedy that kind of came in in the well early eighties or whatever. Yeah, um, and was kind of spearheaded. Is that the term? Um, by like uh, Rick Mail, who was in it, um, Ben Elton, who had a huge career after this as well, probably bigger than maybe anyone's afterwards. Um, He was one of the writers on the show. He was in it a couple of times. Um, But Adrian Edmondson, who people might recognise from the latest Star Wars films. (laughs) (laughs) He's one of the bad guys of Star Wars, Um, which I always find really weird. Um, But yeah, uh, Rick Mail, who's like one of my favourite, and I'm sure Dan would agree, like one of the best comedy actors of all time. Um, which Americans probably haven't seen him in a lot, but um, you know, but I, I don't, I don't really Drop think the young ones. Drop Dead Fred, which I actually quite like, but might grate on some people. And um, but this was more. That's kind of like Rick Mail breaking into Hollywood or whatever. Young ones. This is like this is pure Rick Mail. This these are based on characters they did as part of their stand up um, thing, basically, and it was taken and put into a TV show, um, and. Yeah, and it's basically four students essentially living in a house and it's surreal, it's weird, it's quite political, which at the time, like, but it was, it um, nothing like that kind of thing was had ever been on TV, especially British TV. Um, and yeah, it was part of this, yeah, new wave of comedy, super important um, and just gave birth to like comedy. I mean, know it today. So if you're into your comedy, especially if you're into your British comedy, um then I highly, highly recommend just go on YouTube or whatever, wherever you can get it from. Just watch some Young One stuff. You might think like, you know, for people like we, well, I do anyway, we love um, Tim and Eric and stuff like that. Um, very much that kind of thing. But um, yeah, but it's in a more kind of sitcom format, almost in a weird way, standalone episodes. But um, uh, yeah, but it's essentially four guys living in the house and it's great. And it's got little musical numbers in it. Um, just trying to think what bands are in it, Dan. They, they had some Loads. cool people. Yeah, they, they had, had really a cool musical guest every episode. So Madness were on it twice. That's right, um, Madness. Yeah, Rip Rag and Panic, Amazulu. Was it um, Squeeze? Was Squeeze on there? Didn't they do? Was it Squeeze that did Call for Cats? Doesn't it? Those guys. 
No, there was a weird... Some of the Squeeze guys were on it in like a weird... Um, Jules Holland. Like one of... Yeah, Jules Holland. They Basically, a, a bunch of guys got together and did a version of um, Bob Dylan's Subterranean Homesick Blues. Right. Uh, who else is on it? Alexis, I remember doing his Dr. Martin boots. Yeah. Um, which I really liked. Yeah, that's on there. Um, but yeah, they did a whole... And you might notice... Um, some people on it that are kind of like comedy royalty, like Jennifer Saunders, who's married to Adrian Edmondson. I think they're still married. Was in it a fair bit. Um, all of those, all, all of that generation it. of comedians, everyone from the comedy store, all those guys, you'd be amazed at how many cameos there are in the whole, uh, across the whole series. Everyone, it's a who's who of that era. Mm. Yeah, and it's a, it's an integral part of like British comedy, basically. And it's bloody funny. Um, and it's funny, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to kind of delving back into that. Um, cool. So I guess that's it. Right, Dan? That's it. We'll uh, see everyone next week for some young ones. Young ones. Here we come. See ya. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, guys. We're part of a new winter group. So head on over to a to check out our other shows. Go to patreon.com slash a new winter to support the network. You can email us at oddcastoddballs at gmail.com and follow this and our other shows on Twitter and Instagram at A New Winter. So, see you next time on The Oddcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.